0: Well, most of us are creatures of habit, aren't we? I mean, sometimes just the little slightest changes can kind of throw us uh, for a loop. Um, You thought Dave was old? Like, I'm so old that I have a Hotmail account. Anybody out there, Hotmail accounts? Yeah, under the age of 50? Um, Yeah, and so I remember um, every couple of years they used to change, like, the home screen of, like, what the account looked like. So. You know, you were used to turning on a computer every day, doing email, and then one day you come and like the whole screen is different, right? And you're like, where's the tab? Where do I get, how do I send a message? And literally take a couple days to kind of reorient yourself to this, this new reality, right? Or maybe, maybe more close to home. Maybe you go to the gas station and you go to that one refrigerator door where you always get your favorite drink and they've moved everything, right? Y'all remember when Hy-Vee changed everything? How upsetting that was, right? You're like, what? This was, where is it now, you know? Um, It's all your fault, Connor. (laughs) Connor works there and he's always like, people like blame me, like I'm the one that made this decision, so, right? We do not like our routines to change. I used to just go to cross-country practice and then get paid. Now, someone decided that I have to log in to my phone and push a button that says I'm here. And then after practice, I have to push in a button again that says I'm leaving. And I literally had to, like, write Post-it notes all over my car, steering wheel, you know, down in my console area to, like, remind me to do this every day because I just used to just go and didn't have to think about it. I had to reorient myself to this new expectation. Well, before Jesus arrived on the scene, um, things had been pretty much the same for the Jews for hundreds of years in terms of their orientation towards God. They celebrated the same uh, holidays and festivals, made the same animal sacrifices, went on the same pilgrimages to Jerusalem year after calendar year. And God was this somewhat distant figure. You could pray to him, you could learn about him. But only certain people had the ability to go into his presence in this one particular room in the temple in Jerusalem called the Holy of Holies. So the intimacy was just very different than what we experience now. And then the strange guy from Nazareth comes along, and he's wowing all the crowds with all these miraculous signs, right? He's this God who said you couldn't even look at him and you'd die now. This guy claims to be God and he's going around and he's touching people and he's healing them and he's giving sight to the blind and the lame are walking. And if you stuck around long enough, maybe he'd even get you a miraculous meal at the end of your time together. And it began to be quite the expectation that Jesus was going to do something, at the very least entertaining, but at the most possibly life transforming for someone. So there was this buzz surrounding Christ and his followers. Like, what was he gonna do next? And you didn't wanna miss it, right? So crowds would just drop whatever they're doing, just follow him around. So at the beginning of his ministry, you see there was a lot of of miracles, okay? And then he starts to teach a little bit more along the way. And that's when it starts to get a little bit more interesting. And we have this really interesting conversation that appears in John chapter six that we've been kinda working through the last few months. And Jesus starts to reveal the motives of the hearts of the crowd, and he says, some of you guys are here. I know you're here just for the next show. Some of you guys are here because you got fed yesterday and you're hoping that I might feed you again today. They were willing to settle for temporary satisfaction when Jesus was trying to offer them true life, eternal life, spiritual food that was going to last and not just Temporary things from this world that would quickly spoil. And in chapter 6, Jesus is trying to reorient their understanding of this connection and intimacy with God, this new thing he was doing. So much so that he said, guys, I am the bread of life. I'm the one you're looking for. Not the things I can do for you, but a relationship with me is what's really going to satisfy this whole soul hunger that we all desire, that we have in our hearts. So he's defining a new intimacy. God is not somebody to just be obeyed. He's not even somebody who simply you just learn you know, great life lessons from, morals. He's not even just for the Jews. He says, I actually wanna become a part of you. I want, I want you to consume me. And as we consume his teachings, he begins to transform us from the inside out through the presence of his Holy Spirit in us. He's describing a oneness with him that is like a completely foreign concept to the Jews at that time, that you could be one with God. And this new intimacy, Christ in you, was going to be available to everyone. He was giving himself for the life of the world. And as Justin pointed out last week, it was just too much for some people to handle. Too many changes to the way things had always been. Too far of a stretch to think that this carpenter's son from just the next town over, whose mom we know, whose siblings we know, that that guy was actually the Messiah that we were waiting for. And he kept saying that he came down from heaven, but we know that he was born to this family, and how could he be God? And the terms under which this new intimacy could exist seem really steep as well. We see the same. We see the same issue today. I, I think many of the reasons why people move towards God—they start coming to church, they start going to youth group, they start showing up at a Bible study—is because they're looking for something, right? People are searching. And I think, honestly, primarily what most people are looking for is they just want life to work out. They want life to work out. I mean, now, probably according to some preconceived notion about how they'd like it to work out or how they think it should work out for them, hoping that if they put some time in with the big man upstairs, that maybe he'll see their efforts and reward them by changing their circumstances. And many either get what they want, you know, sometimes people's circumstances do change for whatever reason, or they don't, life is still a mess. And either way, after a while, we see a lot of people walk right back out the door and move on. But you see, Jesus wants our hearts because he knows that circumstances are going to come and go. As a matter of fact, he tells us very clearly that this world in which we live in, the expectation in this world... The norm is pain and suffering. Not the exception. That's the norm of the world that we're living in. But so many of us aren't willing to surrender control. We're not here to worship the one who satisfies, but to use him as long as he's useful, as long as he's playing the game by our rules. So I want to ask you this question, and for some of you, this might be going back a ways, depending on how long you've been following Jesus but does anyone remember when they first started to come to church or youth group or whatever entry point into the Christian experience that was for you what was it you were really looking for at the time maybe you had an ulterior motive what were you really looking for friendship Friendship. okay what else Yeah. I didn't, want to go to hell. didn't want to go to hell, right? Very strong motivator, right? Especially when you're a kid, right? Yeah. Understanding. Understanding. Yeah. Trying to make sense of some things, connect some dots. Yeah. What else? Yeah. Sparkly pink Bible for church attendance, okay? Yeah. Man, we need to pick our game up here. We don't have any sparkling church, church Bibles. Come on, right? <clears throat> a lot of times we, we come and we're, we're, we're really kind of not even really seeking God per se. <laughs> we're seeking connection. We're scared of what we don't know. We're trying to seek understanding, trying to figure life out a little bit for me, honestly, as a kid that didn't go to church and then started hanging around some kids on my cross-country team, and I, um, I just liked being in a place where people um, treated me nicely and believed the best about me and saw the good in me instead of just always noticing how rough around the edges I was. Like, just being in a place where you were affirmed and um, where people just were inviting and, and liked having you around, like, that, was, that did something in my soul right? That I, I desperately wanted. I want you guys to open your Bibles to John chapter 4 this morning. It's page 1515. <clears throat> 1515. And let me just say uh, from the get-go that um, the beauty of God is that he doesn't really care why you come initially, right? He doesn't really care what your motive is. There were all kinds of crazy motives of why people were following him around. He didn't care. He's just happy that you're there. And at some point, a shift needs to take place. We'll talk about that. So in John chapter 4, you see this very familiar story where Jesus sits down at this well in this town in a region called Samaria, which were, is generally the enemies of the Jews, And he sends the uh, rest of his disciples into town to go buy some food. They've been traveling a while. Jesus is tired. He sits down by this well. This woman comes out, and he begins having this conversation with her. It's a woman who has just lived a life with a lot of pain um, and just a lot of poor choices on her part. And he's talking to her about life. And he's talking about life that really satisfies And he's using this this picture you know that's playing out before him he's like hey you're bringing this bucket to the well every day because you're thirsty and it's going to satisfy your thirst for a while but you're going to have to come back to the well tomorrow to get more water and he's like if you would have asked me i would have given you living water and you would never thirst and this this living water would well up in you it's this new intimacy that he's talking about so he has this conversation and the disciples come back In from town, we're going to pick it up in verse 31. So it says, Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. So spiritual nourishment, food that, that saddles, satisfies the soul hunger that roams around uh, inside all of our hearts is to do the will of God. Is that the bread we seek? Is the bread Christ offers the bread we're looking for? Is the bread Christ offers the bread we're we're looking for is that why we're here this morning those are challenging questions to wrestle with jesus said that his food was to do the will of the one who sent him and to finish his work what was that work i want you to flip over to john 6 where we've been here for a while verse 51 jesus said this verse 51 I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. So here Jesus gives him a glimpse into the work God has for him. It's this mission to redeem the world from sin. So now I want to fast forward a couple of years to the Last Supper. And I actually want to go to one of Paul's letters in 1 Corinthians. So I want you to open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, which is page 1635. And I want to go here today because this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth actually predates the Gospels by about seven years. So I, I want us to understand that before the Gospels were written down, everything that the followers of Jesus kind of knew and understood about who Jesus was, if they didn't see it themselves, was through just passed on oral stories and, tra- and, and testimony that they would pass down to one another, okay? And so here's some things that Paul wanted to pass on to the people in Corinth that had been passed on to him. So I want to look at chapter 11, verse 23, Paul writes for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you the Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and he said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me in the same way after supper he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup he proclaimed the Lord's death until he comes." So breaking bread was a common practice for the Jews. And so we have to remember that when the Last Supper happens, there's actually something else going on, right? It's not just the last meal he's eating with his disciples, it's actually a Passover feast, right? He tells the disciples, hey, go to this room so we can have a Passover feast together. And the Passover feast was a yearly celebration. Okay, that celebrated their escape from the Egyptians uh, with Moses and that whole scene. And as you go through a Passover meal, there's like kind of like steps that you go through that tell a story. And one of the things that you do in that Passover meal is that you break bread in half at one point. And that when you break that bread in half, it's supposed to signify the parting of the Red Sea and, and the freedom that the Israelites experienced as they escaped slavery from the Egyptians. So Jesus took this common breaking of bread ritual and he repurposed it. It was something that was familiar to them and he he connected it with a new story. So from that day forward, whenever Christian believers gathered to worship and remember Christ, the breaking of the bread would point to a new freedom. A new freedom. The breaking of Christ's body on the cross to free us from the slavery of sin. It would now be to remember him and his work on the cross. And this was depicted in the prophecy of Isaiah. Isaiah 53, 4 and 5 said this. This is 700 years before the cross. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds, we are healed. The breaking of the bread of life. And post-resurrection, this practice takes on new meaning. I want you to flip over now to Luke 24. It's page 1508. Luke 24. So in this scene, Jesus is the resurrected Jesus. Okay, so this is post-resurrection. He's walking away from Jerusalem. And he encounters these other two followers of his, not one of his 12 disciples, but just another part of the, he had kind of an extended crowd that would follow him as well. They're heading back to their hometown after kind of a crushing weekend for them. And Jesus is kind of playing dumb. They don't recognize him for whatever reason. Um, and they're recounting the story. They're like, haven't you heard what happened? And they, they tell Jesus about his arrest and the trial and the crucifixion. And then most miraculously, there's this rumor that Jesus isn't really in the tomb. These women went to the tomb today, and and, and he's gone. And, and maybe he's resurrected. We're not really sure. And Jesus is kind of playing dumb and and listen into this story like he doesn't know what happened. And as they reached the village of Emmaus where they were going, um, it was kind of customary, it was kind of getting late today. They, they invited him to stay the night with them and to share a meal with them. And so let's I'm gonna pick up the story as they sit down to supper. We're going to look at verse 30 of chapter 24. <clears throat> it says, when he was at the table with them, he took bread gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? (laughs) So this is an interesting story because usually the host would be the one that would take the bread, and break it and give thanks. But Jesus kind of takes over the role of the host. He grabs the bread, gives thanks, and he breaks it before them, this sign of the new covenant, his body laid down for the life of the world. And it was only once that bread was broken that their eyes were open and they were able to recognize Jesus. And then <laughs> he just disappeared. I mean, pretty incredible moment, right? Right? so powerful that those two followers at whatever time of night it was now right post-dinner they immediately went out and walked the seven miles back to jerusalem to find the disciples and to tell them what had just happened right i mean i'm just doing the math in my head i mean you're looking at at least at least two hours and let's look at the, what they say in verse 35 it says then the two told them what had happened on the way And how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. So no wonder the breaking of bread became this this practice that had so much meaning to the early church. When this fledgling community began to form in the aftermath of that miraculous weekend in Jerusalem, they bonded and connected over a set of practices. Acts chapter 2, if you continue to read the story after Jesus ascends into heaven, the followers there in Acts 2, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And so what we now call communion uh, was a very early practice for that young church, this reminder of the cross and the significance of it for their life. Christ laid down his life so that our soul hunger could be forever satisfied. The emptiness of pursuing things of this world, food that spoiled, was replaced by a lasting peace in our souls between us and God. The punishment that brought peace was on him, the bread of life. And by his wounds, we are healed. So the will of the Father, Right? The work of God, the work God had in mind for Jesus was completed on the cross. The last thing that he said when he was hanging there was, it is finished, right? I'm done. (laughs) The work he came to achieve was carried out. And throughout John 6, as Jesus was describing this new orientation, this new intimacy, his constant invitation, we talked about this several weeks ago, was to come, right? Come to me. Come to me. He wants us. He wants all of our heart. He wants all of our desire. He wants all of our affections. And he makes it clear that unless we consume his body and blood, which means that we embrace his sacrifice on the cross and recognize that for us, we can't be in relationship with him. There is no other way to receive eternal life. And then once we surrender to him and receive that, there's this new invitation. He's like, okay, now that you're ready to to come after me, he says, if you want to come after me and be my disciple, this is what you have to do. You have to deny yourself and you have to pick up your cross daily and you have to follow me. You have to do the things that I did. In essence, we must embrace the life of broken bread and poured out wine laying down our life so that others might encounter him as well. Is that why we're here this morning? To receive that spiritual food and then learn how to turn it into food that we can give to the starving world around us. Is there someone in your life right now that you are being broken bread for? that are being nourished by your spiritual connection with Christ. I almost think of it kind of like a mother bird who goes and gets a meal and then brings it back and kind of separates it out for the little, what are they, for the little birds. That's the only word I can think, little chicks, or I don't even know what you call little birds, right? Baby birds, right? That it's almost like that sense of like we consume Christ and we spend time with him and intimacy with him. And then hopefully what we do throughout that day is we, we parcel it out. You know, like a, like a person that's got a bag of food, they go to the park to feed the pigeons, you know, and they give a little bit here and a little bit here and a little bit here and a little bit here. Giving spiritual nourishment to those around us that are starving to know what life is all about like some of the reasons why we said we came in the first place right for community for connection for answers for understanding do they get that when they're with us well many who heard jesus teaching capernaum that day weren't willing to make that sacrifice it was all just a little bit too confusing maybe seemed a little too demanding certainly disorienting as Justin talked about last week, even offensive to a lot of them. And as you guys looked last week, John 666 said this, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And I try to imagine you know, what it was like for Jesus to just watch people walk away. You know, it'd be like you're a parent And you've got this teenage kid and you're trying to give them advice that you know is going to be really good for their life. And they just kind of look at you and then turn around and head right out the door and go and do the very opposite thing that you just told them to do. And then you just kind of watch with a broken heart and wait for the consequences to come. And just how brutal that is for a parent. And sometimes we can get disconnected from, you know, what's what we read in the text in just one little sentence. We can lose sight of the fact that this this was so painful for Jesus to see happen. It is so painful for him to see happen on a daily basis in this world. And then as you guys looked at last week, Jesus turns to his twelve closest friends, his disciples, and says, Well, what about you guys? (laughs) Are you gonna leave too? And I love how Peter answered the question. Remember, he said, to whom would we go? And I think what he was communicating in that moment, at least a piece of what he was saying was this, (laughs) listen, Jesus, we're confused half the time too. I mean, if you read the gospels, it's like most of the time, I mean, we're the ones that hang out with you all the time, and most of the time, we don't know what you're talking about, right? But we do know this, we've seen enough to believe that you are the Savior that we've been waiting for. We've seen and heard enough to trust you for the things we still don't understand. And guys, this this journey with Christ that you're going to hear and have heard us talk about week after week after week, that it is so confusing. A lot of the time if it were easy everybody'd be here right but there's something about it that's mysterious and hard to wrap our minds around sometimes we don't understand what's going on god why is my life working out like this why is this person's life seem to be working out like this like how does this connect how does it make sense but even in the midst of that confusion Many of us have seen enough to trust God for the things that we still don't understand. I mean, I've been following Jesus. I've tried to do the math this morning. I think it's 37 years now. And I've just watched him transform who I am. I am nothing like what I used to be. Not just 37 years ago. I'm not like I used to be five years ago. He's constantly working through his word and through community and through his spirit in me to make me more like Jesus. I am so much more appealing than I used to be. I've watched Jesus change the life of my friends around me. I've seen people that were addicted be free from it. I've seen people that were just Covered in shame from past mistakes, be set free from those things and given hope that their life could actually change. I've seen marriages that if I would have bet money on whether they were going to make it or not, I would have said no. But only because they had this understanding of God's grace and forgiveness and mercy towards them were they able to extend it to their spouse in that moment and begin to work towards healing. I've seen God do too many things. I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. That he is the only bread that satisfies the deepest hunger in our life. Have you seen that? Guys, as we wrap up the end of this series today, I just want to take some time to proclaim some things that give us hope. Okay? So, this is that awkward moment where I'm going to ask you to tap. If you'd like to turn off my mic, keep it on, Bob. There you go. I'm going to put a question up on the screen, it says this, what have you experienced, what have you seen God do that gives you courage to continue on despite the things you don't always, that don't always make sense in this world or in your world? What has been your experience? What have you seen an experience with Christ that gives you hope to continue on with him? And we want to share some stuff that would just encourage us today. Yeah, I'm
1: um, I think a lot of times I want to fix someone's heart and fix a problem for them. But um, I've seen Jesus without me change people's hearts, move them towards repentance, move them towards him. And so it's just that really gives me a lot of encouragement to just trust God that he is the maker of us he's the creator of us so he's the one that can change hearts mm-hmm. and then it gives me hope for my heart that when my heart's yucky he can change my heart too
0: yeah yeah how many times have we wanted something for somebody else and known that we're not going to be the one that's going to be able to say it or they're not gonna be able to receive it from us and so we just said i just have to pray for them And then all of a sudden they say, you know what I think I should do? (laughs) And they they say back to you the very thing that you've been praying would happen in their life. And you're like, "Uh, only God, (laughs) right? What else, guys? What else gives you hope? Can we catch? (laughs) Yeah, so
1: uh, I guess something really gave me hope is uh, I didn't didn't really have uh, my parents around growing up. And I was really afraid to have kids, because I always thought, I never thought I would be able to be that kind of person, or like a good person for them. I didn't grow up in a very safe place. There was a lot of drugs everywhere. Um, But when my daughter was born, and when my son was born, just uh, crazy change in my mind. Like I, you know, never, never thought I could love somebody the way that I love my kids. And it's really, I'm not the same person I used to be before. I was always very angry and full of hatred. And man, like, (laughs) <laughs> I was not in a good place, you know, mentally uh, headed down a bad road, but like, yeah, so seeing my kids and knowing that, like, I don't have to be that person, and I can be somebody that I didn't have, you know, God's helped me get there for sure, 100%, so, yeah, that's given me a lot of hope.
0: Awesome, thanks for sharing that, man, appreciate it. Oh, way over here, Kenmo, making me work out, man. Mm summer running starts today. You ready?
1: (laughs) Um, So if you don't know, I work with high school students here and I just think sometimes it can get stinking depressing (laughs) just seeing all the junk that they're working through and all of the trauma that they've experienced, life stuff. But I think one, like the thing that gives me courage to continue is just seeing like one of the students like actually get it sometimes I'm like oh my gosh what am I doing here it's the same conversations over and over again but then there's that one student that just is like okay I'm gonna lean into this and that gives me so much courage in my own faith just seeing somebody who the world is like against them everything is against them and then there's that there's that moment of change where they just lean in and lean into Jesus and that get, that encourages my faith like a whole ton <laughs> so yeah absolutely yeah
0: couple more think of it like this if somebody asked you today like how do you know that that Jesus is real like that he can satisfy the hunger in your soul what would you what would you say to him? I know he's real because psh, this is what he's done in my life what has he done Yeah,
1: so we just got to experience a very recent miracle as just the yucky stuff of life just required me to have to give up Sisters of Solace, which was my everything, which, you know, your ministry shouldn't be your everything, so there's that. <laughs> but, um, but at that time when, like, everything was falling apart, the perfect person appeared and has gotten to take over that and do a much better job than me. And so that's like a huge miracle.
0: Mm.
1: So know that God can show up when everything is really, really yucky.
0: Yeah, and he sees your heart and he knows that you needed to be away from that and provided somebody to allow you to be free of that burden. So yeah, it's super encouraging to watch that for sure. Yes, Rob.
1: I'm just seeing people that are in physical pain terrible health that still are faithful um that that gives us courage
0: mm. and hope yeah so sometimes seeing how he provides even even in the midst of a circumstance that doesn't necessarily change but a perspective changes right um yeah that people in the midst of really crappy circumstances can have hope in Christ that's probably even most powerful sometimes right it's one thing if we see the story change and it's, it all is awesome, right? But even when it's still kind of a mess, we can believe that God is still good in the midst of it. Guys, I think it's so important if we're going to be spiritual food for others that we kind of have an answer to that question. Right? How has Jesus come in And satisfy the soul hunger in your life in a way that you couldn't have done on your own and in the way that nothing in this world can do for you and that you can articulate that to somebody else and not that you have to have all the answers for everything but you can say hey listen I don't know everything you know I don't know much but this I do know right this is where I was and this is how God stepped into my life and this is how he changed and transformed my heart my perspective the way that I act and treat people and my view of the world, all those things. And you can give somebody hope um, and point them in a the direction towards Christ to a meal that's really going to satisfy them and not just spoil like the last thing they tried and the next thing they, they might try, right? So in the midst of all this, guys, and, and definitely, and, uh, you know, this didn't exactly line up today with, um, with communion, but the next time we take communion, right, to remember that the breaking of bread became such a powerful symbol for the early church of God laying his life down and, and us stepping in and being broken for other people as well. Thank you guys so much for hanging in there with us. We're going to be starting a new series next week um, through the Psalms, and uh, that'll kind of cover the summer. I'll tell you more about that next Sunday. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you so much for sending your son Thank you for doing it in a way that just wasn't blatantly obvious, (laughs) that it made people kind of have to seek you, have to wrestle with. What if you come in ways that we don't expect? What if you come through people that we aren't ready to hear from or don't want to hear from? What if you choose to do things in ways that really stretch us? How do we respond to that? God, I pray that we would be open to receive from you, however you see fit. God, I pray that as we take in spiritual nourishment each day, we remember that it's not just about us. God, you are filling us up, you are equipping us so that we can be people that can share a meal with those around us. For other people that aren't sure how to to eat from your table yet. That we can be bread and, and water for them. And help quench their hunger and their thirst god we love you we thank you for finishing the work that your father had for you we pray that our food would be the same to do the will of the one that sent us thank you for giving us hope we pray these things in jesus name amen, amen. would you stand as we close today?